I do have the the list of those prophecies that I was uh, describing to the kids there. So if you would like to get a copy of that, let me know, and I can get that to you, and you can look them all up yourself. It is, and I didn't even go through all of them, but that's a lot. <laughs> anyway, let us turn now to our Old Testament reading lesson for this morning, which can be found on page 1125 in your pew Bibles. This is Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. And again, here we have something from hundreds of years before Jesus is born. And this is a prophet of God uh, speaking to the people what it is that God has said. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. And before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day and for your word, which you have given to us for a purpose. We pray that you would help us not to miss that. God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your word. We pray that you would give us minds to think, to, um, to wrestle with and to understand what it is that you are telling us, what you have been saying to your people from the beginning, and give us hearts that are willing to receive it and to live it as people who are changed by your word and by your spirit, and of those that you have made us to be in relationship with you always through Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Turning then to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. The verses here begin with, now that same day, and that same day that it's talking about is that first Easter Sunday when uh, the disciples have gone to a tomb, and it's empty, and they've heard the angels say what has happened, that Jesus is raised from the dead. They've heard the women come back from the tomb and say this is what happened, that Jesus raised from the dead. But we were left last week with them wondering what had happened. So, Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. 
but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly. Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, And those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, uh, we are looking, continuing our series through the book of Acts, and we are looking at uh, actually two places where Paul ends up going and continuing to spread the message of Jesus. And we have been looking at this before now, of him going kind of place to place and telling people about Jesus. And we looked last week at kind of the the method that he uses and the, the response that there was there. And we'll see some of that continue this morning. But today, we're actually going to look at two different places. And we can kind of look at Uh, how Paul does things differently because of the context that he's in, and also the responses and how those are similar and yet different as well. And so um, if you're still wondering what this picture is about, I I hope you are, really. Um, We'll get there. So we're... This morning, looking at Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 10 and going all the way to the end of the chapter, and this is a longer reading than we usually have, but I do want to have all of it before us. So I'm going to just read the whole thing to us. Please do your best to, uh, to stay engaged and to listen into what it is actually saying here, um, and then we'll talk about it. All right. 
Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 10. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica heard that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. It was not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. All right. I hope you were staying hitched throughout that. Because what we have here is Paul continuing to share the good news with some people who are prepared to hear this for some reasons, and others who are prepared in a different way to hear this message. And also, 
people who are resisting hearing the message. So the question we're going to be asking today for ourselves is, how is it that you hear the message of Jesus? When was it that you first remember hearing the message of Jesus and understanding what that means for Jesus to be the one that God has sent to rescue the world and for Jesus to have raised from the dead? When did you first understand what that meant for the world and when did you first understand what that meant for you? And then the next question there, of course, is not only uh, when did you first hear this or understand it, how do you respond to that? How did you then, how do you today respond to this message of Jesus? So we're going to look at a few of those examples. One, we have, the, we have two places here in mind, Berea and Athens. And in Berea, he goes in and uh, follows his usual method of going to the Jewish synagogue. We talked about this before, how this was Paul's method to go to where people already had all those Old Testament prophecies. So he could do basically like what I was doing in the children's sermon. And he could just say, look, it says this and this and this and this. And let me tell you about Jesus. He was like this and this and this and this. These are the things that happened. These are the things he did. This is what he was about. And God raised him from the dead. All of these things that, um, that the Old Testament has been talking about, Jesus came and he fulfilled it all. Jesus said, do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And Paul is then pointing out the ways in which Jesus fulfills all of this. And so these people who knew their Old Testament now found out that that wasn't the end of the story. That was preparing them to receive the message of Jesus. And so uh, the way that they responded in uh, Berea is what, it's a good response. It's a response that you get uh, a lot of Sunday school classes throughout the country get named after the Bereans. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you've been in churches that have named Sunday school classes, but there's always one named the Berean class or <laughs> for some reason. And it's because of how they receive this message. And they receive this message with great eagerness, but there's more to it than just that. So I don't know if you remember being a child and ever being frustrated when your parents would say, you'd say, you know, they'd tell you what to do, and you'd say, Why? And they would say those four words that every kid hates, because I said so, (laughs) right? And you're like, that's not good enough. (laughs) I want more than that. And here's the thing. That's what's actually so good about the Bereans, is Paul gives them this message, and they are excited about it, but because I said so is not good enough. They want to make sure that this really is the case. And so as we are looking at this... um, Look at that picture on the, <laughs> the front. And you have somebody examining this, uh, this beaker filled with some substance. There's sort of this idea of scientific investigation, of wanting to know more about this thing. What is this? Yeah, I get it. You told me it's going to do this. But why? How does that work? Is that true? Before I drink this down, I want to know, is this something that's going to heal me or kill me? Well, in Berea, it says they were more of more noble character because they received the message with great eagerness, but then they 
follow that up by examining the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So they are looking at their Old Testament every day to see if this fits with this message about Jesus. My question for you, go back to this. When you first received the message, how, how did you receive it? Did you receive it as good news? And did you receive it as, you know, someone told you and you said, well, it's kind of a because they said so. And you said, well, okay then, guess that's it. Or did you follow that up and say, is that really true? God has given us ears to hear. We pray this week after week. They would give us ears that would hear the message. They would give us hearts that would be ready to receive the message, but also that he would give us minds to understand, to think these things through. A lot of times we don't even want um, to do much thinking when it comes to Christianity. In fact, we kind of have this idea that thinking and faith are opposed to each other. They are not. They are not at all. And so what we want is for someone just to tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do, and I'll just go do the thing, and I won't have to think any of it through. And what we find over and over again throughout the Bible is you do need to think it through. Think it through. Test it out. See if this actually fits with what God has said before. But also you have to think it out then in how it works out in your own life. Because we're not given a here's what to do in this situation that you're facing today exactly. Even when you go back to the Old Testament law, a lot of the way that the law was written was not this is what you do every time, but it would be case studies. And so as well, if you have an ox and it's doing this, and you say, well, I don't have an ox, but I did have, you know, (laughs) there was a goat that was doing the same thing. And you say, well, (laughs) think it through. (laughs) Figure this out. How does that fit? If this is what God is telling his people is to be the case, it's not just that case, but it applies more broadly, but you got to think it out. And so the same thing was true with the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus is raised, has been raised from the dead, we got to think that through. First of all, uh, kind of thinking through how does that fit with everything God has been saying up to that point? Is this true? Does that fit? Is that right? And then if it is, we have to think it through on the other side. So what does that mean for me today? How then should we live in a world where this has happened? Okay. So that's what the Bereans were doing, which is a good thing. But then, of course, uh, there's always the other contingent, and we have people actually coming from the place where uh, Paul had been before, and they come over and they're like, ah, don't listen to this guy, and they run him off. So when he goes off, he actually ends up by himself. Normally, he's always there with other people, but he ends up by himself in Athens. Athens, which is a, uh, a well-known city even to this day, uh, known as being identified with the goddess Athena, the goddess of wisdom. And if you read through here, you see that that's exactly what's going on here, is we have people who are lovers of wisdom. I don't know if you know the Greek word for lover of wisdom, but you probably do. Philosophy. That's what that means. <laughs> the lover of wisdom. And so what you have here is these philosophers, those who are standing around and talking about these different ideas. And what they're trying to figure out is what is the good life? What does it mean to live 
the good life as a human. And there are all these different ways that people answered the question, the way they answered it then, the way people answer it today. What does it mean to live as a human the best that we can? And one of the problems that is always thrown into that is that what do we do then with the pain of this world? So we can't deny that there is pain in the world, that there is suffering in the world, and that has to be dealt with. And so how do you deal with that and still live in this world? The good life. What does that even mean? So these are the questions that people are talking about, but they're talking about them apart from the revelation of God as to what life really is all about. And so they've come up with some various answers. And so you see the Epicureans there, you see the uh, Stoics there, and they've been debating this with each other, and uh, there are some similarities, but mostly they were disagreeing and arguing with each other over whether it's this way or that way or whatever it is. And Paul shows up. And when Paul shows up, you hear what it said about how he viewed the city? said he was greatly distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. That's one of the other things that the Greeks and the Romans had going on was uh, lots of idols. You have (laughs) Athena, the goddess of wisdom, but you have all these other gods and goddesses for every different thing. And so there's the god that's over this area of your life, and there's the god that's over this area of your life, and there's god that's over this area of your life. And so depending on which area you're having trouble with or wanting something different, that you'd go to that various... uh, idol. Now, for Paul, who knows the story of the one true God, he comes in and he sees a situation where people don't know. And it breaks his heart. And here it is, they they love wisdom. They want to know what the good life is all about. And they, they don't know. And they've missed it. And they're chasing all these other things. Before we get back to that, let's just bring it back home today. Is that not the same situation we're in today? You say, no, we don't have statues of various idols that we... But come on. Everybody's trying to answer those questions for themselves. What is the good life? What does that mean for me to live the way that I'm meant to live? How do I deal with the pain and suffering that I experience? What does it mean when there's pain and suffering in the lives of those I love? How do you make sense of all of that? How does it hold together in a way that makes sense? And how are we supposed to live day in and day out? And the, the biggest answer for most people is we don't know. We don't know. And so what we end up doing is finding ways to distract ourselves so we don't have to deal with those questions. Ways to numb ourselves so we don't have to feel the pains. And then we find different philosophies. Ways that, you know, maybe we can make sense of some of this. And as those who know the good news of Jesus, it should break our hearts. We should be greatly distressed when we see people who want to know what it means to be truly human and have no idea. So Paul goes in, and he begins with his usual methods. 
And it says, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols, so he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. And there are people who are hearing this, and here's how they respond. They say, we want to know more about this. And so they bring him to the Areopagus, where they can all discuss all the latest ideas, and they say, you know, what you're saying is different than anything we've heard before. And we don't know about that. But we're interested. We're intrigued. Tell us more. And so he comes, and he does. And the way that he begins telling them, I want you to notice, he does not start the way that he normally does when he goes into a synagogue. When he goes into a synagogue, how does he start? He starts with what people already know, what has been revealed to them by God in the scriptures that they have. When he goes in the Areopagus and he begins speaking to them, he doesn't start with the Old Testament or the prophecies that God has made there. These people don't know that. So where does he start? He says, uh, he starts with them where they are. You're a very religious people. I get that. I've seen these idols all over the place. You're wanting to know what life is all about. You're wanting to have some sort of a relationship with the, the divine. But you don't know what it's all about. And you don't know the one you should be worshiping. And so you even have this uh, kind of extra idol that's sort of the catch-all. Like in case we've missed one, if there's another God out there that we don't know about, we have this to an unknown God. We've got that, that idol. And Paul says, let me tell you about the God you don't know. Let me tell you about the God that you don't know, the God who is the one who created everything. The, actually, the one who is the only true God, who created everything and who created you. And his, the way he describes this sets God up as different from all the other gods. He doesn't need anything from you like all your idols do. He's not made with silver or gold like all your idols are. But we are made in his image. And we understand what life is about only as we are in him. And then he talks of Jesus. This is what's been his message um, they invited him because Paul was preaching about the good news, the, preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. As he's preaching again, he, of course, it all comes back to the resurrection of Jesus being raised from the dead, the firstborn of a new creation that we are all invited into. And when it says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And so then, some of them became followers of Paul and believed. We have, in both Berea and in Athens, we have people who God has prepared to hear this message. In Berea, he prepared them through their knowledge of the Old Testament. So when Paul walks in and he says, look, this has all been pointing to Jesus. There are people who are ready to, accept, to receive that message and to accept it. But they've got to make sure it's true. Right? You don't want to accept it if it's not true. And in Athens, God has been preparing people in a very different way. He's been working in their hearts to where they do have a desire to know what life is all about. They do have a desire to know uh, what the good life is. They do have a desire to know how to make sense of the pain in their world. And they do have a desire for something transcendent, for a relationship with the divine. And so they are ready. 
and they are prepared to hear this message. But again, we've got to know that this is true. We want to hear more about this. We want to talk these things through. We want to know if this really is true. And I want, I want us to just go back to that again and again. Paul is sharing good news. But it's not something that should be accepted just because it's good news. But something that should be accepted because it's true. And because it's true, it's good news. Does that make sense? This is where we are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. To continue to think through these things, seeing if this is true. And then if it's true, what that means and how we work that out in our lives on a daily basis. That's one of the reasons we continue to gather together as a church. It is something that we do um, in our Bible studies. We're going through and we're looking at these things and we're finding these connections and we're saying, you know, again and again, this is what God has shown us. This is how it points to Jesus. This is how we know it's true. But then again, on the other side of it, we're saying, okay, so then what do we do with this? How do we live this this afternoon? How do we live this tomorrow in the situations that we're each facing? And it's not as easy as just, well, what are the commands? But it's what is life, is, what is life all about? How has God shown us that? What are the ways that God has shown us in Jesus what it means to live as truly human? How has he dealt with the problem of pain and suffering in the world? How is it that he calls us not to run from that, but even to enter into it? To suffer for others, for love. It is... um, It is good that the Bereans wanted to come back to this day after day after day. It is good that the people in Athens wanted Paul to come back and tell us more about this. And it's good that we continue to gather together to do those same things. But, here's the caution. There comes a point where it really does come down to because I said so, right? There's a way, and I talking about this with <laughs> uh, some of our teenagers a few weeks ago, of an airplane and how at some point, while it's good to think through how an airplane works and all the different uh, things that happen to make it work, and it's fascinating stuff. If you really want to get into all of that, there comes a point where you have to say, it's not going to take me anywhere unless I get on. And if you spend all your time, as I'm afraid some of those in Athens were in danger of doing, was, well, let's just hear more about this and hear more about this and hear more about this, but not actually accept it. They're not getting on the plane. They're not seeing how that then works out in their lives. And so that's my caution for you. We tend to miss things one side or the other always. And so the way that we miss it on one side is to not think about it at all. And we certainly don't want to do that. We're Presbyterians, after all. It's one of the things we like to do is think. <laughs> But on the other side, we tend to miss it by overthinking. When we have plenty of evidence and information, and yet, because of an issue of the heart, we're unwilling to act on what we know. 
So I don't know where you are today on that, which one is more uh, your natural response. If you're one who doesn't like to think this stuff through, it's time to start thinking this through. And if you're someone who likes to overthink things and never act on anything, (laughs) maybe it's time to act. This is the message of Jesus and his resurrection. And it is a message of good news for all. I pray that we view those, whether we've heard it before a thousand times or whether today is the first time you've heard it, that you would think about it, that you would receive it, you would accept it, that you would know Jesus and this new life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.